0: This episode of Prize Fighting Kangaroo is brought to you by The Record Room in Phoenix. And with Record Store Day just around the corner, it's time to make your record shopping plans. This year, The Record Room is having a huge Record Store Day sale, and a bunch of super rad musicians will be joining in the fun, including Dirty Harry, The 16 Eyes, Moonlight Magic, The Apaches, and more. Make sure you head down to The Record Room this Record Store Day on April 13th, The record room is located at 2601 West Dunlap in Phoenix.
1: listening to prize fighting kangaroo a podcast about film and culture i'm ashley and i'm amy and this nice. is uh i believe this is our
0: first wow, podcast of 2019 is it I welcome to the new year that's right. everybody else welcomed it in a couple months ago but we're just getting started now in march uh but we're online so no one really has to know what date it is so people can think whatever they want we'll just say it's a it's a new year this
1: yeah, forgive us about the delay. Uh, we have been in a North Korean prison for the last three months. Uh, we had a, a heroic escape a few weeks ago. We were trying to smuggle in some DVD copies of Demolition Man. It did not go well.
0: <laughs> in case you haven't seen Demolition Man, we do kind of uh, get to talk about it once in a while. It comes up. so
1: All you know, the time. You, All the time.
0: Yeah, you think it might come up more after a North Korean prison experience, and it might, but we have to get past that a little bit. Honestly,
1: the worst part was the food. It, it, you know, it was just the same thing every day. Just have a little bit of variety.
0: Yeah, it's no tent city cuisine. That's right. That's for sure. Ugh, yeah. No
1: green bologna. No. Ooh. So just so
0: you know, if you're weighing your uh, incarceration options based on cuisine, uh, we might be able to start another podcast about that too. Very true. Uh, our podcast is part of the Yab Yum Network. Uh, Yab Yum.
1: That brings Media us... Media and th-
0: arts? Oh, I'm sorry, Ashley. So
1: my, my bad. I'd say that they also bring us a podcast like Nocturne Nebula and the... Uh, what's the one about the uh, the dead people? The Mortician's Daughter. The Mortician's Daughter.
0: Yes, that's uh, one of the founders of Yum and our producer for today's uh-huh. episode, Carly. Yes.
2: I feel like you guys are shouting things out just because I'm sitting behind you here.
0: We might be. Okay, and that's And she's fine. appropriately I'll take it. dressed today as if she... Uh, definitely is a mortician's Appropriately daughter. Appropriately dressed every day. Yes. I'll just say black lace, if that means anything to anybody.
1: Actually, uh, now that I think about it, we are all dressed in black today. <laughs> so we basically look like we dropped off our kids at the Day Center, and we are now going to see the cure at a festival.
2: <laughs> We're in the uh,
1: arts, Ashley. I wish. <laughs> uh Dressed dark. <laughs> But so uh, this year, for those of, for those of you who've been following us uh, regularly, and thank you by the way, uh, we know we've kind of done like a general podcast. Where we just kind of talk about the stuff that we like, stuff that we were kind of into at the moment. I think mean, this year for twenty nineteen, we kind of want to get a little bit more granular and kind of do like a director series where we kind of focus on like the auteurs that really kind of get us going. Google it. That's right. So I think today we want to kick it off by talking about one of the great American indie filmmakers, Richard Linklater.
0: Yes, Richard Linklater, who has uh, served to direct, act in, and produce some films. We're going to be focusing on uh, his directorial efforts today, I think, on the podcast. You might know him from movies like Bernie, Boyhood.
1: The Before trilogy, you know, Sunrise, Sunset, and Midnight.
0: Dazed and Confused. Suburbia.
1: Everybody wants some.
0: Mm-hmm. School of Rock.
1: Oh, and just so you know, there, the, the Suburbia is not the one that Penelope Saris made, because she also made a Suburbia. She did. So there's multiple Suburbias floating around. And it's better. It's true. I'm just going to say
0: that right now, right off the bat. Uh, we don't have to start there, but just putting that out there that the Spheris' uh, Suburbia is a, a much better movie, uh, in true. my opinion.
1: Different movie, but... Also, another good sidetracked but did you read the interview she just did of uh, AV Club the other week? I sure did. Oh, it was fantastic, Ryan. Right?
0: Yeah. Well, we're going to get an episode uh, devoted to that lady, I oh, think, yeah. soon. But yeah, great interview if you haven't uh, had a chance to look at it. It was on last week's AV Club. Which might be a few weeks ago
1: for those of you listening at home. <laughs> That's right.
0: We don't know what time it is. If you Google it you'll be able to find it.
1: Remember, our our time, our, our sense of time is kind of thrown off right now because our daring midnight escape from a North Korean prison.
0: Yeah, that, that will take something out of you. Um,
1: the you know, jet lag. That's
0: yeah, true. Yeah, jet lag. You get some coffee and some protein bars, and you start to come back to life. Um, so, yeah, we could probably start at Slacker. That was a big starting point for Letter. 1990, what were you doing?
1: Wait, 1990? what was I doing in 1990? Yeah. Please uh, say you were born. <laughs> I was born before then. Uh, I'm 35, so I think in 1990 I was probably playing a lot of Super Nintendo at the time. I, it, I, I was a late bloomer in terms of cinema. Like, I actually start actually liking movies like as like a thing to really make a part of my life until I was like 15 or 16. So I don't think, I think Waking Life may have been the actual first Linklater film I actually saw. And then I worked backwards from there.
0: Oh wow!
1: So, yeah, so Slacker came out. Like, yeah, I had no idea that it was a thing at all.
0: Okay, so did what'd you think about it?
1: I, I loved it. I, I, it's funny. Um, watching Slacker, and I mean this in the best possible way, made me look at that. Watching Slacker made me think I could do that. It's like when the first time where I, as as somebody who, who does writing and like theater, it's the first time I ever watched a movie where I'm like, oh, this is something that people can actually do. Because, like, you know, you read the commentary and behind-the-scenes footage, you realize, like, you know, Linklater shot that film for an incredibly cheap amount of money. And the film looks good, and it's it, it, the structure of it's rather ingenious, and we'll, we'll get into that, of course. But I think watching it, you're like, oh, cinema isn't this huge, difficult thing that requires years of experience and millions of dollars. Like, if you have a bunch of dedicated friends and you have time on your hands, you could theoretically make something like Slacker. I mean it's like a proof of concept kind of film where it shows that really anybody could do this. And and you know Kevin Smith gets a lot of credit for Clerks for similar reasons cuz Clerks is sure. shot really on the cheap. But I mean I think if you look at those two films Slacker has aged really really well where Clerks just feels more like I almost feel like when I watch it now it's almost like an obligation. Clerks? Yeah.
0: Boy, I don't know if I agree with you. I still enjoy Clerks when I watch it, and I don't feel. I mean, it's dated because it really, you know, just like Slacker. I mean, it it, it comes from a, you know, it's regional and uh, you know, it's a very distinct, uh, you know, culture yeah. uh, uh, in an area and time period. But I don't know. I don't find it uh, hard to go back to, and it.
1: Hmm. You know, I think it is. I think for me, it's like um, a retroactive, like. Bad will instead of goodwill, Where I think Kevin Smith is kind of like I've, I've gotten so turned off to his work over the years that I go back and watch older films by his. Even like stuff like Mallrats I used to love. Now I'm like there's a level of slack that I won't cut him anymore. So it makes it harder for me to watch his films. <laughs> Just after watching stuff like Tusk and like or even Jason and Bob Strike Back. I look back at his stuff now. I'm like I don't know man. Like the bloom came off the rose for me.
0: Yeah. Do you think and this is getting way off the I topic, know. but that's <laughs> totally. o- that's okay. Uh do you think that Kevin Smith has revealed too much to us and that's why we can't feel the same way about his movies like there's no there's no mystery at all with Kevin Smith, which on one hand I really think is great. I love that you know that What I see is you talking about, uh, you know, like Slacker coming out for you was a point where you thought I could make this. At the time in my life when it came out, I was just heavily immersed in, you know, all all things DIY culture. So everything I was doing was, you know, hardcore shows and punk shows and weirdo films. And, you know, every night you were sitting at someone's house watching, you know, every weirdo movie you could think of. And so to me, it was like... I, that was the time. Not only did I see one movie that I realized, like, oh, well, you can do all of this. All, the whole life was about this. It was like there's a whole the whole world was subculture to me, and it was all about in you know individual people being able to do whatever the hell you wanted to. So, I think that Kevin Smith definitely owes something to that period oh, of, of cor- time. Absolutely, Not absolutely. Uh, you know, that's allowed him to continue. Speaking and talking and revealing every single aspect about himself, but I sometimes wonder if, in doing that, you know, do we think too much about Kevin Smith now when we're watching his movies? Where later, I don't, I don't put him. I mean, sometimes he is in a movie, you know, he'll he'll be he'll make an appearance in a movie, but I don't think about him the parallel the whole time like a backseat passenger. But I think with Kevin Smith, he's become that passenger, and I do think it's. Maybe it's taken a, something away.
1: I agree. I does mean, does that
0: make sense at all? <laughs> it does.
1: I mean, Linklater. Linklater's advantage—he's never put out a tweet like saying that his like wife's pussy pwned his dick or anything, <laughs> which Kenneth Smith has. I don't know if you've seen that tweet, but it's like every year it gets retweeted all across Twitter. And every time I reread it, like I just want to bleach my eyes out afterwards. It's horrible. Actually's so like, horrible. It's like I just
0: looked at the sun for two minutes. It really is. It is. <laughs> it is. it is
1: the sun of tweets. It is horrifying. But, you know, and actually this isn't really – this actually kind of ties back to Linklater. I think one of the things that bothers me about Kevin Smith movies is that, like, I relate to him because he's a, he's a huge nerd. And, like, I get it. Like, I love Star Wars. I love comic books. But there's more to life. And I feel like he's never really tapped into that side of things. Like, I remember he used to do interviews where people would ask him, like, what do you think of, like, Fellini or like, Kurosawa and stuff? And he'd be like, well, I don't need watch those films because Tarantino's watched those films. So I could see it through him. And I think, yeah, and I think why I like Slacker and Linklater so much is that Linklater is also, like, he's a movie nerd. So he writes, he makes films where you don't have to know those influences but when you know those influences it makes the experience of watching his films richer. I mean, Slacker, couldn't have existed if, like, Bunuel's, like, uh, Phantom of Liberty. Right. Or, like, Ophel's, like, uh, Ron*. Like, he takes these older, like, European film structures and he applies it to, like, these American dudes who are just, like, fucking around talking about the Smurfs. And that makes it, like, a deeper and more interesting work that he's taking these classical influences but also you know fusing it with like indie slacker culture And that makes it interesting it makes his films like i think rewarding because like he's he's tapping this to more than just oh we're gonna do a film that's about pop culture
0: right it's just about sort of general subculture and weirdo life and uh just the weirdness of real life. You know how you can, you know, be riding around in a cab like or something in a movie like that and the people that you meet are the true weirdos out there whereas with Kevin Smith and his group of friends, it's very insular uh and it sort of stays tied to that group of people rather than letting you see yes. the the real world of uh, you know, just the real world. That's weird. The world world weor- <laughs> the world is weird. <laughs>
1: Uh, exactly it's, it's like um you know I come back to that the scene about the Smurfs and Slacker a lot where I'm like if this is a Kevin Smith movie that's where they would stop like it would just be about like people bullshitting about the Smurfs whereas you know Slacker is about that but it's also about stuff like the government and God and like anarchy and like you know just the impossibility of like communicating with people like there's so much going on in that movie that's more than just like oh we're just going to riff about some bullshit And I think that's part of why Kenneth Smith-Film movies are hard. I I don't really relate to them as much anymore. Because, like, I enjoy pop culture bullshit a lot. Yeah, me too. But I I need more than that. You know, I I need more than just talking about, like, oh, some people died on the Death Star were probably innocent. Like, yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And it it also is a little bit disappointing when someone doesn't want to know a little bit about that history. Because, you know, it's already you know, we're already getting to a place where, you know, we're getting a little older, we're dealing with people that are younger, and they're like, oh, you know, I don't know this song, I don't know that. And it's like, I wanted to know the roots of things when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Like, I wanted to see where that came from. So if someone said, you know, I don't have to watch that because Kevin or Tarantino watched it for me. That's a real bummer to me, because it's like, why wouldn't you want to see firsthand, like, where these ideas originated and how they've evolved? Like, I always feel like seeing the evolution of something only leads to, you know, seeing the future of it. And uh, it's kind of a bummer to think that. I mean, you know, I know there's only so much time in a day and Kevin Smith has a lot to talk about. So he can't always, you know, watch all these things. But as a filmmaker uh, with, you know, some money and some resources, I mean, your life is a luxury, dude. Like, why wouldn't you want to dig into this art that you you know, facilitate. Well, of course.
1: Yeah. Oh, 100%. Like, especially, like, if you look at older films, like silent films, for example, like, there are techniques that they use in those films that don't exist anymore that anybody could just pick those things up and be like, they could use in their films today and they would look fresh and innovative. Like, there are just stuff in the history that we've forgotten that is still relevant and could still be used today. And so to not look back, you are you're basically, you're basically it's like it's like cutting a dictionary in half. Like, you're losing grammar and just ways of, you know, telling the story. Yeah. That don't need to be lost.
0: So I have to say, on that note, and this isn't the uh, Linklater versus Kevin Smith episode no, that no, it's but... turned into, <laughs> but uh, maybe some of those reasons about how, you know, one is a little more explorative than the other and one seems to sort of stay in their lane. Uh, if you look at Linklater's uh, overall list of movies that he's directed, he's evolved in a lot of ways, whereas Kevin Smith kind of has stayed. In his lane, and just that's true. You know, he's pushed a little, but he hasn't pushed hard. I mean, Tusk is a fun push, but (laughs) it's not uh, stepping so outside of yourself. But to go from a you know, us like a slacker to you know, the before trilogy or boyhood,
1: or like a scanner darkly,
0: yeah. I mean, that's someone who maybe has more of a passion for the art than the story. That's very true. The end. <laughs> <laughs> so, if we take Kevin Smith out of the equation for now, I guess we can talk about some of Linklater's other other movies. Absolutely. Well,
1: been, one of the things that talked about Slacker, too, is interesting is that it also touches on another thing he does really well, which is working with non professional actors. Yes because if he was a slacker I mean it's all people that he knew in Austin and you know and that's not something that that was just exclusive to that film like in Waking Life he did the same thing where he'd use people that he knew that were college professors or just you know folks he knew in the neighborhood and even in the the more bigger budget films he would insert people into it who were like oh these are my kids I'll make them actors or here's somebody I know I'll make them an actor so it it creates it helps create this feeling of reality in his films that you're not just seeing Ethan Hawke you're seeing Ethan Hawke playing off of somebody that Linklater knows in real life and and, you, and, usually you can, and it's a testament to his skills as a director that you usually can't tell the non professional actor is not like an actual actor. Like they feel real and part of that, but whatever world he's creating. Right.
0: This is very true.
1: So I guess if I want to go chronologically, I mean, we can always talk about uh, Dazed and Confused.
0: Yeah. So I think that was, uh, although like people like you who came a little bit later uh, worked backwards and, and a lot of people saw Slacker, I think Dazed was uh, really what introduced him to the world. Uh, I think it was probably, it 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 made a lasting impression. I mean, everyone still is, you know, refers to that as when they, when they hear his name. I think it's oh, always yeah. associated with that.
1: Well, it's one of those films too. It, it's it, it's kind of like when you watch um, Fast Times for the first time. We watch the film you're like, holy shit! Everybody in this film is famous. <laughs> like you watch that film, you like, oh, the, like when you watch Days of Confusion, the there's so many actors in that film. We're like, oh, this is where he first got started.
0: Yeah, like probably,
1: Yeah, Ben Affleck, uh, Mila Jovovich. I mean, Parker
0: Posey. Parker Posey.
1: There's so many people in that film. You're like, oh my god, like this is like. It's like you watch this You watch it for like the first time on film, and it, you got all of these future stars and like bigger names and personalities all are in this one film. It's it's really impressive.
0: Yeah, great ensemble cast, and really touching movie. Like, I mean, it's funny. It's pretty wacky, and it's you know high school but uh it's really a warm movie like for all the hijinks that are going on and the pranks and you know the complete sadism that goes on from people wanting to you know indoctrinate young people into high school culture as they're on their way out they all the you know hazing type of stuff yeah. uh it's got a lot of warmth like for people who especially who grew up in that time period and Uh, More like, you know, less technology, more one on one, just hanging around, doing nothing kind of hangouts, you know, drinking beer and, you know, driving your car somewhere to just sit there and drink beer. And uh, I think it's a it's it's funny and it's sweet. I mean, there's a sweetness to it that I think stays with you.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it feels like they feel like it feels like a real high school. I mean, they feel like real people, and I think one of the things that struck me about the film, watching it, is that there's not really like a narrative goal of any kind. It's not like watching American Pie, where like the the running thread is we need to bust our cherries. Like like when you watch America, when you watch Days of Confusion, like the only real plot thread is whether or not Pink is going to sign that pledge at the end of the movie. Right. And it's never treated as like a big decision. Like yeah, he's got to resolve that issue, but that's not the point of the movie. I and mean, they're really, it, I mean, it's more like, you know, pretentious reference alert. It's more like watching a Fellini film where like you're more watching people <laughs> going through the night and hanging out. And like there's not, like when you watch like the Dutra the Vida, there's not really a story to it. It's just, oh, I'm just going to hang around and just, you know, yeah.
0: bum around Rome. It's I mean, a moment in time. Yeah, exactly. And you, and you know uh, that, you know, there's nostalgia attached to it because you know from whatever point you're in your life, it's either you're watching it as a kid and you're like, I'm going to, uh, I've been through that. I went through that. Uh, and then for people younger watching it, they're like, oh, this is, you know, kind of a moment in my time that I have to look forward to. Or what's that going to be like? Or it kind of offers a little slice of the, what's unknown to you, but uh, in a way that could give you a lot of fear and anxiety <laughs> or also, you know, something that, you are you know, you're growing up. So it just kind of takes that, that moment and offers you a look at it. But, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, interesting thing, too, is if um, you heard that, that Linklater used to describe it as this horror movie which I always thought was an interesting descriptive for it because when you watch it like yeah you don't get that vibe at all but there's something interesting about the fact that it's also kind of about like you know what's like being stuck in a small town where pretty much nobody's gonna leave I mean look at Matthew McConaughey where it's like you know like that's a guy who's still trolling for like for teenage ass on the weekends or Ben Affleck who's staying behind in class on purpose just to get a little bit more like high school glory like part I think part of what makes that film resonate too is for a lot of people like this is probably going to be a highlight of their lives and that's That's really sad and unfortunate.
0: It is. But as you, you know, as you get older and you go through life and you kind of see, you know, you realize how, um, you know, things don't work out for everybody as they once thought that they might have. And you can kind of look back to those moments and, you know, or you go to a high school reunion, you see parallels between, you know, I mean, I don't go to a high school reunion, but... You know, I know what's going on with some of those people, and some of them are in the, you know, in that same place. That's the thing that they look forward to is getting, you know, seeing that crowd, and that was their, the high life of their youth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Sad. (laughs) I actually haven't been to my, uh, I haven't been to
1: reunion yet.
0: I haven't either. Nope. You? Not at all. I have no desire to go. I've been invited. you know, I've been asked to be on a committee. and uh... Yeah, I didn't have a
2: bad time in high school. I mean, other than, you know, being a teenager, being awful. But I didn't have a noticeably bad time in high school. But I had no desire to go back
1: to it. Yeah. Even yeah. to visit. <laughs>
0: you know, anybody you need to see, you can find them on Facebook and see what's going on with them. And
1: I feel like there's specific people where I, I would just go to just like, Oh, how'd that person turn out? <laughs> like at had this guy I went to high school called did ever tell you about him? uh uh-uh. right, In brief. Name names, Ashley. Yeah. Go for it. Just name the <laughs> no, names. He, okay. Sorry. The Bergster or whatever. Uh, he was amazing because he's like this big, goofy kind of Jewish kid who had a gigantic afro. He used to wear like a tie-dyed Malcolm X t-shirt and like pink pants. And he talked like this all the time. And oh, remember one time we were going to like, the library? He walked up to me and says, yo, bro, you jerk off. You want to buy some porn? I got porn in my cop, <laughs> <laughs> it's like in the middle of like third period walking the hallways <laughs> so i always think it like,
0: was just trying to have a job yeah. i guess
1: but I, i'm always like i, I want to know what happened to that guy oh he's like, making porn <laughs> yeah that's what happened
0: he's moved in from uh, he's moved from selling porn to actually making yeah. his own so he's a cameraman his business acumen yeah. was on point uh, back in the day <laughs> Yeah, I mean it. It is. It's like uh, like you said, it doesn't make you feel like you you have to uh, know exactly what happened to everybody there, but you are getting a look at what's now and
1: absolutely. Well, you know, maybe to jump ahead a little bit, but uh, you know, on the subject of like horror films, because uh, I think he did make one later in his career. Because I think, I mean, to be Waking Life feels like a horror movie, oh, even yeah. though it's you know spiritually it's like a sequel to Slacker. I think the whole premise of the film of like you know oh. Am I dead? Am I trapped in a dream? Like, I want, every time I watch that film, it gives me chills.
0: Yeah, it's chilling. Have you seen it, Carly? Yeah. Uh,
2: so, it, it, Timothy Speedlovich is in that film. Yes, And yes. he made Live from Shiva's Dance Floor with Linklater, which was like a short film in 2003. Oh. Anyway, uh, it, really, it, I, I
1: like Waking Life. It's my favorite of his films. Wow. Honestly, me too. I mean, it was the first film as I saw, but also, like, it just... It's one of those films where you watch it that has everything. Like, yeah, it's its a funny movie. It's very thoughtful and, like, philosophically interesting. But it also has that, like, a plot thread. It's like, it's like if Slacker had, like, an underlying narrative, that's what Waking Life would be. Because you have that randomness of, oh, we're talking to talk a bunch of random different people. I have all these vignettes. But you have that thing of, like, Wally Wiggins growing awareness of his, like, being trapped in this world that adds, like, this through line that makes the film, like, really, really interesting. And actually, the first time I watched it, I watched, like, in my house. It was, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, and, like, I had nothing else to do. So I, I was, like, insomniac watching this film. And at the end <laughs> of it, I get up. I go to turn on the lights, and the lights wouldn't turn on. And I was, like, oh, oh no. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen it, like, it's a, as a big friend of the film, is like, you know, if you're in a dream, you can't adjust the light levels. And it was a yeah. dimmer switch that was off. So that's why the lights were coming on. I had this existential terror for a minute where I'm like, "Why aren't the lights coming the on?" The
0: surreal moment gets gets more intense. Right,
1: I, I felt like I was in a dream. Like, I felt like I was in the movie at the, after I finished watching it, and that, that and that's. I think whenever I watch that film now, I always have a little bit of that residual terror inside of me when I'm watching it.
0: Yeah, it kind of just makes you. It's one of those things that's like the glorious like piece of a movie, you know what I mean? That's like beautiful to watch, and then also, kind of does make you think about your your existence, you know, and what your what's happening in your states of being.
1: It feels like the film that What the Fuck Do We Know wanted to be. <laughs> it, it feels very much like, here's a film that's questioning the nature of reality, but doesn't give you any easy answers. Right.
0: There are no easy you
2: answers. You know, it's not an easy film for me to revisit, though. Like, you have what? to put a lot of space between it. Because it reminds me sometimes, if you see it too closely together, it sounds like everybody. Backyard party stoner conversation you've ever had when you get to like that three <laughs> yeah, o'clock hour, okay, yes. <laughs> and most most of the parties dwindled away, and it's just like a few kids sitting around that are too drunk to still drive, yeah. and they decide to get meaningful. <laughs> yeah. So if you watch it too much, it it, it definitely has that stoned in a backyard discussing life and what it all means, and I just want to cut my eyes out
0: yeah and i but I do love that people still have I hope people still have those conversations. I mean, I know I had many of them, and then I, when I realized like I was kind of like the older person laughing at those moments a little bit, I fell asleep in my own bedroom at a party in my own house uh and I woke up. In to find that there were two, like, there was a guy and a girl like sitting in the corner of my bedroom, like having one of these conversations, and I didn't kick him out or anything. I just listened for a while, but I was just laughing my sleep. It was one of those like, if we're this big, could we just be, you know, the tiny thing on, you know, the head of a pin, you know, the whole thing or whatever? Uh And I was like, wow, weed. But <laughs> it was, you know, it's true. There, it is like that kind of. You know, it's like a rite of passage for, you know, thinking folks. I think, and, and I think it's great. I mean, I might, might not have that same kind of conversation again, but I guess we have, we evolve and have them in different ways, right? Oh yeah. But but if you haven't seen
2: live from Shiva's dance floor, I have not. You, I haven't either. Have to. It's like watching that clip with Timothy Speed Levitch, except he's he he goes through part of the cruise in New York, which is. This tour, you know, he kind of does these bus tours, and he just talks about history and philosophy and the continual op- overlapping of all things. But, um, you know, so that that moment that he has in wakeful, waking life kind of is expanded upon into this. And it's wonderful. It was actually a submission for what they should do with the uh, Twin Towers. Oh. When the Twin Towers were destroyed, this was made in 2003, they were trying to decide what they were going to do with that land. To kind of create something, and he suggested not to give anything away, but they create a buffalo sanctuary for the white buffalo in the middle of New York, where the twin towers used to be. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, so it's good. It's good one to, to catch up.
0: Is it available somewhere?
2: Like, I will find it for you with the power of the internet. That's a, that's <laughs> a I mean, producer it on like promise like a, there. A
0: Netflix or something? No, I don't. Probably. I don't know, but I will find it. Okay,
2: I'll make it happen
1: to Please. YouTube.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah. YouTube is a wonderful tool.
0: It's probably on the tube.
1: We I mean, yeah, they could even have like a league. They even have like films like um, Todd Haynes, like a uh, Karen Carpenter superstar on YouTube. Oh, yeah, oh, which really? is the only way you can see yeah. it.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff, and sometimes even they'll be broken down into like half hour chunks or something. But it doesn't matter. Like you, it, I've seen stuff there that's someone's obviously recording on their phone from their TV. <laughs> but you know, when I first
2: watched the Crim Master cycle, that was oh. the thing, yeah, in like bits and pieces. Yeah.
0: That's a fun, well, that's a fun endeavor.
1: Well, either your Or pay like how, like how much does it cost? Like the, 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 the like the um to like, get the
2: the VHS, yeah, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars per video.
1: Jesus fucking Christ, that's ridiculous.
2: <laughs> five five part cycle, so that's absolutely 1. ridiculous. $25 five million. That's just stupid.
1: <laughs> that, no, it really it really is like ugh. That, that's a separate rant. Like the availability of art is like a whole. That's a, that's a whole episode by itself, right there. It's a gallery price, Ashley. That's the yeah. gallery price. Never fuck a gallery. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't even get me
1: started. Well, you know what? Amy, what would your favorite Linklater film be?
0: Oh, boy. You know, I do really like the before trilogies, but I don't know that it's my favorite. Uh, Boy, you had to go out with the favorite question. I wasn't prepared (laughs) for it. Uh, I think Boyhood is great. I really Mm. love Scanner Darkly.
1: Oh, God, Scanner's so good.
0: You know, if I had to maybe pick a top, it would be up there, but I'm always... I mean if people do Philip K. Dick right, then it's incredible to me. Not everybody does, but
1: uh it really is. I mean, it, it probably is like one of the only really generally good dick. I mean, like Blade Runner is good, but it's like not not a really true adaptation. Like like the Scanner Dark is like really faithful to the book and it works.
0: The man in the High Castle TV show, hmm. the Amazon series, is pretty great. Um I haven't seen the third season. The first season was excellent. Uh it's one of those things though that's had to take itself beyond the book. So, you know, it's not uh it's taken the uh, original story and elaborated on it, so you don't really know. You can't compare it to something else. Yeah. But have you watched it? I haven't. Have you watched it?
2: I caught a couple of episodes, but we didn't really dive. You didn't like dive. it? Um, it just, it was a timing issue, wasn't it?
0: Well, yeah, there's so many things to see. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty decent. But I thought Scanner was great. Uh you know, a way to take it, in uh, just an interesting way to take it into that. You know, we've all, we've seen like, a, you know, the bad side of someone going undercover. You know, we even did a whole episode based on you know, kind of double lives, and you know, what can happen when you're uh, mingling in that underbelly and yeah. how it affects you, and and if you get caught up in it. Um, so it's a it's a beautiful way to watch it, like visually. I think it's it, it's pretty great, and it would have to be up there for me. I don't know if I'm prepared to pick a
1: favorite. Fair enough. It's interesting. I, I rewatched it recently, and I remember watching it, and being like, "Oh my god, I completely forgot." Robert Downey Jr. is a great actor. <laughs> because, because I'm so used to thinking of him as like Tony Stark I and know. Sherlock Holmes, and like playing that that kind of stock, like I'm a brilliant asshole. Seeing him in something else, where it's like, oh, he does have a lot of depth and layers. You just kind of forget.
0: Yeah, I mean, he he made us forget about you know that he went through all these personal uh, crazy times, and that he was an actor again. Uh, and get respect for that, which a lot of people aren't able to come back you know from those public you know very public situations that have to do with their personal lives and behaviors it's and true. he did a great job of doing that, and then he became tony Stark and that, while that was great, I was really hoping let this be your stepping stone, you'll be Tony Stark, but then really just go out, go kill it because you are dark and you've gone dark in real life, and we all know that the darker you've gone in real life, you know what i mean you you kind of get this. Your voice changes a little bit, and uh, you know, I thought it would make him prime to play some really deep, dark roles. You know, absolutely. Uh, and I just don't think he's gone there yet, uh, and hopefully, he still will. But yes, to your point, yeah, it was a, it was a nice way to look at him and be and think, yeah, you're great.
1: Well, it's like, it's like it's like Rob Lowe when you see him like in like Parks and Recreation, where you're like, oh yeah, this guy's really great, very and, funny, and then he becomes a Republican. And it's like, oh, man, come on, Chris Traeger. Why are you doing this to I me? I know.
0: And, and the thing with him, too, Rob Lowe, is he has actually got some really good comedic skills. You know, first he was the pretty boy, and that's all anybody could talk about. And then he, you know, he kind of you, – you can transcend, you know, what the, what your public image is sometimes uh, and really move on to do some great things. but. Yeah. Yeah. Don't support Trump. No. no well, this I don't th- think he's a
1: Trumper. I don't think so either, but just... Uh...
0: Yeah. He says some real crummy things, though, so it makes it hard to want oh, to absolutely. stick with him. But, yeah, Downey is fantastic, and I think this if, if you like him, this is a really great way. We're being invaded. Uh, oh, no! In <laughs> it's a really great way to look at him, and it's a really visually beautiful
1: movie. And And a really great story. Oh, absolutely. And also speaking of, like, public image, I think there's a really great bit of metacasting going on in that film because, you know, aside from, like, Keanu. Keanu, yeah. Yeah. But you also have, like, Woody Harrelson, you know, notorious stoner, is in the film as a junkie. You know, Darth Diane Jr., obvious reasons. But also, like, Winona Winona, Ryder. Who has her own troubled history. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, Linklater assembles this group of people who can really convincingly play like these like troubled like like family unit because in real life they've all gone through shit right
0: because again i think he really understands that life itself is weird and that's what makes a movie interesting not it's not so uh cloying and it's yeah. not so forced as to f- Create a weird scenario. Life creates the weird scenarios, and there's where you see the real weirdos. Uh, so there's, it's sincere. He's sincere, and maybe more sincere than you see in the long term of like the Kevin Smith movies or something. True.
1: Yeah. And also Keanu is just so great in that film. Like
0: Keanu, another person who we don't always get to see enough great, and also a great human being. Let's just put it out there. What people don't know about Keanu is very charitable a um, very kind person does a lot of acts of kindness seems to care about humanity a lot
1: it's true Well, that's I remember, nice. I remember a piece about somebody like why does he get cast he, like he's not a great actor which I, I, I might disagree with that but the, the, the counter argument somebody made was like, I think well the reason why people keep casting him is because everybody loves working with him because he's a nice guy that's what it boils down to is like he treats all the people he works with with respect and dignity and that's unfortunately rare in Hollywood
2: I can't decide if he's a good actor or not, but I enjoy watching him <laughs> in movies. Like, as I'm running through to my head, you know, uh, what was the Shakespeare he did? Much oh Ado my About God. Nothing. Oh, yeah, was so that Don was John. was physically talking. painful. Like, I, I, my,
0: it hurt. <laughs> I mean, maybe my not soul. everything is for him, you know? Right. and You don't have to try everything. Or maybe you try it and you don't, you know, uh, you can
2: go But don't he did go
0: really great in other. Things? Yeah, no, he. Uh, river's Edge. I yeah. mean, we okay, fell great. for him, you know? Uh, one thing I appreciate about uh, Linklater, too, is that he saw uh, sort of past the pretty boy image of what I think was put out there as a pretty boy image of Ethan Hawke as a young person. Very After true. Dead Poets Society, uh, what you heard a lot about the, the young group of young actors that were in there were not just that they were talented or they were able to, you know, really bring this, you know, the old captain, my captain story, you know, to life and and, you know, make people inspired and cry and uh, was that okay what's going to happen to them now they're all they sure are all cute and they're going to look good on Tiger Beat and so I think that that took away uh, a little bit of their credibility in the public opinion so people would kind of write them off oh so almost like with the Keanu too oh he's cute but Ethan is fantastic like I have always followed him will continue to follow him and I think he's great and I love that Linklater has been able to always see that and always utilize
1: him in movies oh absolutely I think to me, like, Give It Hawk is, like, his version of, like, what Martin Donovan is to, like, Al Hartley. Where, like, he's kind of, like, his go-to baby man.
2: <laughs> yeah. I had the same exact response. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to lie.
0: Two two people in the room of three just swooned yeah, over the name Martin doing. Donovan because— Literal swooning. Why wouldn't you? Uh. Hey, you know what? I'm straight,
1: but I would swoon over Ethan and Ann Martin. Like those, yeah. those dudes are both got it going on. But also like you know, Ian Hawk like you know, here's a guy who got kind of saddled with the whole reality bites image of like oh like you know, exactly. he's kind of this callow hipster Gen X guy, and I think Link Leader helped him like he, like he helped him muddy that image and like give it like soul and nuance. I mean like like Jesse, yeah. yeah.
2: You mean that wasn't Training Day? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, oh man. <laughs> But it's like the before trilogy. Like, you know, he starts off like he has those shades of like being like the Troy kind of character. Where, like Jesse's kind of like, you know, intellectual and kind of a smart ass. But also as the, the series goes on, it complicates that image. And you get to see him like, you get to see how he's kind of an asshole, but also a good person at heart. Like he's, he's a conflicted figure. And, he, and really as an actor, like Linklater trusts a Hawk to really embody that role.
0: Yeah. And you get to see him go, you know, you get to see through the trilogy of him you know, being different people, which is what happens in life, you know. Uh, And I do think, yeah, I think it was that Troy character that everyone just thought, oh, and he's, look, he's trying to sing and, you know, and that takes away someone's, you know, that's, he's obviously a gigantic music fan and a musician. uh, And when you play that character, you know, everyone's like, oh, he's cheesy, you know, like, you know, they don't take him seriously as a musician. And I think being, getting some of these roles, you know, helped him transcend oh, that, absolutely. you know, and then he ends up in something like last year's best movie, First Reformed. Reformed. Uh, <laughs> which, that's my It opinion. was the best yeah. film of last year, easily. It was, yeah. Easily.
1: But also, too, it's like, you know, the before films, like, he's playing a really difficult character, because, like, you know, in real life, most people, like, if you met somebody who's like, yeah, I left my family to go, you know, you know, live with this French woman after so many years, it's like, yeah, you're like, this person's a piece of shit. But the film makes you understand the choices they both make, and it makes you like them regardless of it. Right. Even though he's a hard person to root for. I mean, yeah. that, whole, that whole situation, like – and, and, and to look at his credit, like when you watch Before Midnight, you see the effects it had on his like, on his, on, like, on his son, like on his family. You see, like, how, like, yeah, he made the was right for him, but it was wrong for everybody else.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of what happens in life. I mean, even yeah. if you, you stay and you don't follow your heart in a situation, um, you know, you're making a choice. And that choice is still going to have impact on people, whether it's the – "Quote unquote," right thing to do, or the thing that everyone expects you to do. Um, so, you, yeah, it's nice to be able to see how that uh, absolutely results, you know, in with other people's lives, and it's always complicated.
1: Absolutely. Well, and also, to probably go back to your earlier point. Uh, jumping back to Keanu for a second. I, I do think he's not a bad actor. I think he has a very narrow range where it's like, if you need somebody who's like confused, <laughs> or stoned, or grieving. Or just a little bit angry. I think he can do those well, all really stoic well. stoic and grieving. Stoic, yeah, stoic and grieving or stone. I think that those are his, his range that he does really well.
0: What about Point Break? He, he wasn't stoned. Okay.
1: Yeah, but he where wasn't was the great stoic. emotional collapse?
0: But he's kind of a pro. They, when they stole his uh, girlfriend. They kidnapped his girlfriend. He had a choice to make. He was was he going to save her? He lo- he was in love with her. He- Did he
2: look confused while he was
0: making this choice? He always looks
1: confused. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. my point. That's <laughs> yeah. Like like if he's perplexed, <laughs> that he's like like Waking Light. I mean, uh, is perfect because that film requires him to just be confused for, like the whole film, and and that's why it's so moving because he doesn't know what the fuck is going on. But it's like, yeah, that character would be completely confounded, so it's perfect.
0: Yeah. Uh, not so. Necessarily so deep, but just as inspiring. Let's talk about School of Rock for a minute. Oh, School of Rock is fun. Yeah, School of Rock is a fun movie. Yeah, it's, okay. It's like, yeah.
1: No, it's like you said. Uh, like, it's definitely not. It's, it's definitely not like um, you watch it. You're like, yeah, this is like a passion project for him. It's not like deeply moving or whatever. But it's fun and like, I, I, and it's also very representational. Where you know, it's a film about kids being like, oh, you want to be the hairdresser for a band? Cool. Like you know, oh, you know, you're. A fat little black girl. Yeah, you can be a part of the band. Like there's there there's a sense of music being very inclusive.
0: It's an inspirational film. It's very. It is very it inspirational. Is. Absolutely. And it's kind of timeless in that way. You could go back to it. It's fun to watch anytime. But there's some good things in there. Like I love the Sarah Silverman character. Uh, she's pretty evil. Uh, and she's good at being evil. I'd like to see her take on a dramatic role somewhere where she was just really evil uh, oh, yeah. and she didn't, and she just l- lost herself completely. Like, I'd be dying to see that because I think she could be really great at it. Uh,
1: Did he make School Rock before or after Bernie? I'm trying to remember the timeline.
0: Oh, no, no. Years before. Years before. Yeah. All
1: right. So maybe, maybe that's kind of what that planted the seeds of that collaboration.
0: Yeah. Jack like,
1: Black, he was great in both those films.
0: Yeah, I do. I think Bernie was great. Yeah. Oh, Jack, absolutely. Yeah, Jack Black. He has a he has a little range. Uh, <laughs> you know, he was. I'm a big Jack Black fan. Yeah, I, I am too. I love him. Tenacious D. Oh, absolutely. As an actor, yeah. Yeah, no, big fan. I got hooked on the Tenacious D show when I was living in New York early 2000s, and uh, love, have loved him ever since. And Kyle Gas too. They're oh, both yeah. great together. Uh, Jack Black serves his purpose, I think, in every movie. I thought he was he was really good in Bernie. It was a good, maybe a little little bit of a switch sometimes. when we see where he's just fully a different person, and it's not all Jack Black in it. Like he's Jack Black in School of Rock, you know?
1: Right, yeah. It, it requires it to be like kind of the manic, yeah, kind of manic persona. Like yeah, Bernie's piano problem
2: <laughs> in the other work. Art. It's true.
1: But also, like, um, here's the best thing about that Peter Jackson King Kong remake, which is a film that I will not hesitate to shit on all day long. But you know what? Jack Black <laughs> was great in that it. He was great in it. He played, the, he played the Carl Denham, like, kind of the sleazy businessman character. And he was really convincing. And, like, he did a really good job with that. Like, he'd be a great villain, honestly. I thought
0: people loved that King Kong movie. Did, was it, didn't
1: it get really good reviews? It did at the time. Uh, he, here's my, okay, I, I know this is a way tangent, but here's why, why I don't like that film. It's, like, almost three and a half hours long. In the original King Kong, they're at Skull Island within, like, 15, 20 minutes. It takes them, like, an hour and a half to get to the island. It has all these plot lines about how, like, Naomi Watts' character is a starving actress in New York who's got this mentor is also starving. They had all this plot and story that doesn't pay off at all. It, has, it basically it has, like, the Peter Jackson Hobbit problem where, like, have, here's a simple story and we're going to graph, like, 10, 15 extra stories into it. Right. That you don't care about. It adds a bunch of characters who even get killed off later that have no resolution. Like, it just, it's too much of everything. It's the same problem that another Ethan Hawke film has, the uh, Assault on Precinct 13 remake, where they take a really simple John, John Carpenter film and then they right. add a whole bunch it's of too plot much, yeah. that you don't need. So it just ends up making the original look that much more better and more leaner by comparison.
0: Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that's a, that's a writer issue, uh, somebody just trying to impart, maybe it's a little selfish or trying to impart, uh, you know, their own voice into the story. And a lot of times if you just took the story, uh, and kept the simplicity and found nuances to write into it that were more subtle or direct or even a little bit different, um, yeah, I think it. I think it's some of those things suffer from just one person wanting to really make it their own, and that's one of those movies for sure. Oh,
1: sure. I mean, I think the thing too is like it's like less is is almost always more in storytelling. Like we don't we don't really need to know like why Michael Myers is a murderer, for example. We don't really need to know. We don't even know why there's a giant ape on Monster Island. There just is. <laughs> like, like, let's not waste time explaining all that. Let's just accept it and move on. That, that's more interesting. Yeah.
0: Or you know, somewhere someone should be asking themselves those questions. You know what I mean? What can I? what can I lose here? What can I imply? And that's not going to take anything away from the story. Uh, And that's where it helps, I think, sometimes to get into your art and go back and explore the history of it uh, because you can kind of understand why people made certain choices that they did. And it doesn't mean you're copying that. It means you're understanding the art form. And this is important. Today I've realized this is extra important to me. (laughs) You know, I think uh, people worry too much that... Uh, somehow it's going to influence them and influence their work in a way they don't want it to but I don't think that it has to
1: I also think it's like a bit of like, like maybe I guess we call like a cultural chauvinism at work too where people are like oh the past is more simplistic and not as sophisticated as we are but the reality is no 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 people in the past were probably just as good just as smart just and they may have made choices that were more interesting and you just don't know about it right but I, I talk to people all the time we're like oh yeah old movies are dumb because they're much more simple and it's like that's not really true as, you know, in terms of narr- narrative, like oftentimes they are more complex. And all the human themes are universal and timeless, right? So
0: it's not like a, you know—it's very rare that a new scenario has developed that, in some way, didn't already exist. You know,
1: exactly. was well, speaking of relatively new scenarios, uh, want to talk about Boyhood? Yeah. Because the making of that film is something that—I mean, aside from like the Up documentary series, it's hard to think of anything that was similar. I mean, a, a film that, that, that was shot with, like, one person growing up over, like, a, such a long span of time. Like, it's hard to think a lot of other films have adopted that model.
0: Wait, what documentary did you say? The
1: Michael Apted The Up series. I think it was in the UK. Oh, okay. Where you like, the... Seven
0: years apart. Yeah, yeah, seven years. I thought, at first you said Up, and I was like, immediately oh. went to Up, <laughs> and I was like, that was not that. Uh, what is, what the hell is he talking about? But, yeah, no,
1: yeah. That'd be a good podcast title. What the hell is he talking about? <laughs> That's your podcast
0: title, my friend. Yeah. Go ahead. Boyhood.
1: Well, it's a, it's, it's, I think that's a film that, that really hit me when I first watched it because I think part of it is that like even both, uh, both of the parents remind me of people I know in real life. Like oh, even Hawk's like, that's my older brother and very much like, uh, Charquette's character is like basically my older sister. Yeah. So watching that film took me really aback of just how much I could relate, how much I could immediately feel for those characters. Yeah,
0: same. The time period, uh, you know, my own family, families that I knew, you know, yeah.
1: But it's also beautiful too because that film was all about like, you know uh, – Linklater is somebody who's like really fascinated with using unconventional structures I mean and that film of course has that you know, episodic nature where you know we jump ahead we only find out bits and pieces about these characters lives So, and, and that's part of what really appeals to me the film is like we don't really know that they're, they're, we see people show up in one scene who never come back again we see them moving to different houses and the mom has different boyfriends and we just get these quick snapshots that don't give us a lot of context and I think that's interesting because it leaves a lot to the imagination the wonder, like what's happened to these people in these down times in, the, in these temporal lulls.
0: I agree with you. Um sorry, I was kind of started thinking about the movie and then I, I oh, just
1: no
0: <laughs> uh drifting into it, but uh yeah, I think it's he does a thing where he he just creates enough space in a movie uh to give all the characters in the movie an opportunity to shine whether they're in the movie for a short period of time, uh, whether it's a person that you're seeing at multiple places in their life. So multiple time periods and multiple characters always feel like they have enough space to breathe. And that's why I felt that a lot in this movie. Yeah. That was a real takeaway for me. And I, as in looking at the movie as what do I think that he does best that makes a movie poignant? And I, I do think that that is something that is important. Uh, you know, I was a big fan of a Star is Born. I really liked it. I watched it again, against my better judgment, because it's a little. It's just a little emotional to me. Uh, and I thought, boy, that last hour is really crowded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that that was a huge critical takeaway, you know, uh, for a lot, for many. Uh, but I thought, I wished he that in that he had, Coop, Bradley Cooper is, he's Clint Eastwood in directing. You know, he loves Eastwood, and you can see, that he, he follows his style a little bit more. But I was thinking at the time if he followed, you know, like a link later and like what he can yeah. do in a movie like Boyhood and just let those people breathe a little bit. I know he wanted to show us, you know, how everything got to the point that it ultimately did. But I think there were definitely ways to do it. That would have felt a little more airy, um, and, yeah. it made me think at that time like not everybody has that sensibility. And Linklater is somebody that really has that sensibility. Oh, and absolutely. I think boyhood is a great example. I think the trilogy is a great example of that. Uh, even Dazed and confused, you oh, know, totally. for as a you know a or you know silly as it might be in moments, um, it it works because he gives everyone that room.
1: Absolutely. Well, and it's funny, too, you mentioned Star is Born, because I, I feel like the first hour of that film very much felt like a Linklater film, where it's just the two of them just hanging out yes. and just kind of just bumming around town. It had that feel of it. Yeah. If, 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 I was like, if the whole movie is just this, like, it was just like, oh, here's somebody hanging out with a rock star for a night, that whole film could, that, that could have been a whole movie by itself. And you almost don't even need, like, the second hour of, like, the descent into darkness. And, uh, you know, but, but that, but like I said, their last hour is, like, is not nearly, to me, as involving as the as the opening. Because that first hour felt like, oh, this is, like, a Linklater film. This is, like, this is kind of like a Days to Confuse. But, like, it's, like, you know, Jason Isbell said, Jason Luzzin. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, I mean, it is... Uh... You know it's haunting in the end, and it's it's you know it, oh, yeah. it's a million uh, cautionary tales and you know uh here you know you could have everything and you're still not happy and you know it's a, it focuses on addiction a lot and suicide and you know so it it it's a it affects people who've been through you know oh, yeah. And, who can relate to It's relatable and it's a love story and uh, it's a great story about dreams, but that I think it could, uh, I was, I was glad to finally be able to look at it critically because I just thought the, you know, my first viewing was like so emotional. Uh, And then I just thought, yeah, you, you didn't deserve that best director uh, Oscar for that. And I, I'm fine with Bradley Cooper, but, uh, from a critical point, like you did a great job, but you still have some things to learn, you know. Oh, definitely. And he really could use getting digging into that history, too, uh, you know, and not just naming Clint Eastwood as your number one favorite director all the time, because that's unfortunate, in my opinion. Oh, of course.
1: <laughs> I, I, I would agree. Yeah. But still, I mean, it's also in the films too. When you look at stuff like, you know, like *Bohemian Rhapsody* from last year, it's like it does make *Star Wars* look better by comparison. Where like <laughs> it didn't deserve all its nominations, but compared to what it was going up against, my god.
0: <sighs> yeah, that's a whole show too. Uh, you know, then Link later made everybody wants some. Uh did you see that? I haven't
1: actually. I mean I I wanted to. It's
0: kind of like a college version of Days, or it wants to be a college version of Days, and it's not great, but you still feel uh, you know, that nostalgic vibe, uh, you know, here's friends going to college kind of vibe, yeah. here's some of the wacky shit that happens, when that's going on, you know, here's what you know, some stereotypical scenarios, fratty types and sportsy types. And, you know, he still lets, you know, lets the character shine a little bit. It's just not, it doesn't feel as uh, thought through and it's not so compelling. But... You don't hate it. Like, you want to see it till the end because it, it's one of his movies. And, you know, oh, of course. Yeah. And it's it's fine, it's enjoyable. But it's, I guess, if I had to write something off in his history, that would probably be the write off
1: for me. That makes sense. I, yeah. I think he's like, to me, like, he's, he's kind of hit this point where it's like he's one of the few, like, a handful of American directors. I'm like, I, I always want to see what he's going to do next because he's so unpredictable. I mean, his whole filmography is full of all these, like, weird experiments and kind of like tangents that's like anything he does, I think is like, I look forward to actively.
0: Yeah. I mean, he definitely finds ways to impart, uh, you know, social issues, you know, human drama. Um, you know, he's not, it's not one, and it's never one note, you know, I mean, he's doing it, uh, you know, through all these different avenues and all of these different styles of movies. And yeah, even style wise, even playing with style, you know, uh, you know, doing animated movies, doing you know, uh, you know, he can work with a a bigger budget. He's you know, he comes from an indie background. Um, yeah,
1: I kind of wish he did like, more that. animation. Like I, I know because the backstory of of um, Scanner Darkly, I know he and Bob Sabiston had a big falling out, so that's probably never going to happen again. But I miss it because that roto- that rotoscoping looks so good in those films. It, that style it really is does. so great.
0: Yeah,
2: I think it's a great way for it as you know, as somebody who's really into science fiction, you know having that format and the way he approaches it, where it moves into that, you know, magical sort of space visually. I think it's a really compelling way to tell those types of stories. I
0: agree with you. And I think it's a—it's just a different way for somebody that might be more inclined to encompass something uh, that's, but, you know maybe that's just a a better way for someone to enjoy something uh and then their benefit is they get this great story with it if you're prone to looking at something first uh you know and and an animated animated film is what catches your eye or compels you to watch it then you know it's twofold because you're getting this really great story and not not just a grand visual experience
1: oh, yeah. well, I think house of immersion too where it's like in an animated world like this like the um the scramble suits, for example, look look. They look like part of that world. They don't look disruptive. Where in a, in a, in a live action film, the CGI would be so obvious. It would that, be right. Yeah, it would just stick out like a sore thumb.
0: Yeah, and then it would end up being disappointing, and then you'd leave going, "Wow, here's this great Philip K. Dick story that once again someone cannot retell in you know in film version." Uh, so it was a great way to take you know also yeah sci fi classic and bring it to life. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I guess, is, is it that time?
0: No, we might have a few more minutes. Uh, we will say that coming up on some future episodes, we're going to get into some different directors, including, I think we'll have a two-part David Lynch. Absolutely. Uh, there's so much to say. I hope so. The show is <laughs> the show took its name from a David Lynch
1: Spoiler reference. Lynch. Uh, Penelope's Ferris as well, with yeah. every somebody we'll be looking at. With uh,
0: Stillman. With Stillman. Uh, and we'll have a guest on, Tom Reardon. Tom uh, wow. Reardon. Fellow journalist uh, and radio show host in town, musician. Uh, uh, Hal Hartley. Yeah, Hal Hartley. He's a favorite. Yeah, we'd love to get uh, get Hal on the show. See what's happening with him. Um,
1: Hit us up, Hal. Hal. Unless you are also uh, trapped in a North Korean prison, <laughs> which, if that case, yeah. our our heart goes out to you.
2: We have a rescue plan. We've used it
0: once. Anybody it works. in a North Korean prison, we we under we feel you. I feel bad saying that, even as a joke. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Our privilege <Wow>. is showing.
1: <laughs> oh, no. Tuck in your privilege, quick. Zip her up. Yeah. Well, and also, um, don't forget that every last Tuesday of the month, we're doing uh, trivia over at Valley Bar. So come on down and test your mettle and win some fabulous prizes.
0: Yeah. 7 p.m., sign up. Game at 8 p.m., three rounds of 10 questions each. Um, Music, TV, film, books. Uh, not yeah. for the faint of heart. Absolutely no. not. No, it's a tough game, kids.
1: Yes, don't, don't tell us it's hard afterwards or we will laugh at you. We will laugh at you and we will drink your sweet, salty tears. Wow,
0: yeah. I guess we're going to do that. <laughs> um, and then we'll see you next time. I'm Amy. I'm Ashley. <laughs> and Carly was joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Au revoir. Thanks for listening to Prize Fighting Kangaroo, and thanks again to the record room in Phoenix for their support. This record store day, remember to support the businesses that support the
1: I'll arts.